Have you ever had one of those customers? You know the type. The one who's just not satisfied with what you've made for them. It's too shiny. It's not shiny enough. This wasn't the size that I wanted. This isn't even what I wanted. Why haven't you gotten my project done yet? It's been over six months. Does any of this sound familiar? Well, you're probably dealing with a demanding customer. And that's good. We want our customers demanding. We don't want them satisfied with things they could get at a big box store or online or even a furniture store. We want customers who really appreciate what we can deliver to them with the skill and the craftsmanship that they're looking for. But things can definitely go wrong. And honestly, it's probably your fault. My name's Roger Kugler. This is Working at Woodworking Podcast, Episode 13, Dealing with Demanding Customers. So I said that this is probably your fault. Why? I'm going to take a wild guess and say you did not communicate well with that customer. Now hear me out. You talked to the customer, but you may not have really been communicating with the customer. I have this really bad habit that when a customer comes to my shop and we're talking about a project, my mind kind of goes into hyperdrive. I'm thinking about how I could cut this to get it to fit in there and which joint I should use and considering wood expansion and humidity changes and, and all these mechanics are running from through my head. But what I'm not doing is listening to the words and the meaning behind the words that the customer is giving to me. I have to shut that part of the brain off and start earnestly listening. And I have found that if I grab a notepad and start to jot down notes, it really helps me focus and concentrate. Once I start concentrating on the words that are being used by the customer, I can start to gain a little better appreciation of what the customer wants. Now, if you're a guy and your customer is a lady, you are automatically at a bit of a disadvantage. And I I don't mean to be offensive to anyone at all, but men and women just communicate differently. Women use a lot more words than men do, and women have a, shall we say, a compressed time span. If my wife asked me to take out the trash, I say, yes, dear, but I don't immediately do it. A half hour later, she'll ask me if I'm going to take out the trash. Yes, I'm going to take it out. Her expectation and my expectation are different when she asked the first time, she was thinking like within the next 30, 45 seconds. I'm thinking Wednesday. I need to take the trash out today. I have another six hours to do that. So that's just an example of how expectations can be a little different between men and women. And this goes both ways. If you're a a lady woodworker, 
and a guy is asking something or explaining something, it can be the exact same thing. So you need to know your customer and understand your customer. Now, there's a couple tricks that you can use to kind of make sure everyone is on the same page. If I get a phone call or sometimes an email from someone and they're trying to explain something that they would like me to do and I'm not quite getting it, I ask them to send a picture. It could be a chair that's damaged and they want to know if I can repair it or if it is worth repairing. I ask for a couple pictures. Or someone might ask, how much would it cost to fix this? Well, if I haven't seen it, I have no idea. But I'll ask for a few pictures. And from that, I can give them a pretty good ballpark. The other area that can come up that can cause angst is finishes and coloration and stain. If you're building a, okay, Here's an example. I have a very nice mahogany sideboard that was built in the 30s. It's actually a model of the sideboard that George Washington had. But the top was damaged. The top was removed by a craftsman who, well, <laughs> unfortunately passed on and the piece was brought to me to have the top restored. The piece of mahogany that I have to do that is much different than the rest of the piece. And so I asked the customer, what do you want this to look like when I'm done? And she said she wanted it to match the rest of the piece. Okay, I'm going to have to do some, some stain, maybe some dye to get that color to balance. I could have just replaced the top veneer put a couple coats of finish on it and been done. But it looks it would look so much different. So I wanted to really clarify exactly what her expectations was. If you're building cabinets, you might want to adopt the principle of doing sample boards. This is just a simple, you know, 6 by 6 piece of wood that has the exact recipe for the finish that you're intending to use on the entire kitchen cabinets. If it's painted, if it's stained, if it has a high gloss finish, if it has a satin finish, the exact procedure that you'll use on the kitchen cabinets you want to use on this sample piece. Show it to the customer. If that's what they want and they like it, have them sign the back. Write down the recipe you have on the back, what grit sandpaper you used for the final. All these things can come into play, but with the customer's acknowledgement, there's an understanding of what the kitchen cabinets are going to look like. Now it's up to you to deliver since you've already set the standard. Okay, here's one that gets me in trouble all the time. Customer calls up and says, I was just calling to check on my project that you are doing for me, that usually triggers me rapidly trying to go through my, my mental index to figure out who this person is and what her project was. And if I can eventually figure it out, then she says something to the effect of, 
why isn't this done? Ah, gosh, I hate that question. And honestly, I'm kind of at a point where I've run out of excuses. So when you run out of excuses, that's when you really need to start practicing the word no. I can't take on that job right now. I am swamped. Anyway, just be honest. Honesty is the best policy. I just don't have it done. I've been working on other projects. Yours is in line. I expect to start working on yours. Fill in the blank. When you do that, you better write that in stone and you better deliver or you're going to have a really upset customer. But see, that could have been totally avoided if A, you have a good job list where you record when the job came in, what is expected, when the job is due. And if you can go down through your job list and you see that you're running really behind on this job, that's when you pick up the phone or the email and you contact the customer and and tell them, I'm running behind, I haven't got to your job yet, but I am fill in the blank and then stick to that. So communication is really, really important. If you are dealing with a a man and you're a man, the communication is a little different. You can call up and say, I haven't got that done. I know it was due next week. I'll get that finished up in fill in the blank. If your customer is a lady, you need to communicate probably about three times more with them as you would if your customer was a man. And I'm, I'm not stereotyping. There's no disrespect intended here. But in my experience over 20 years, this is kind of how it works. Women just want to be informed more often than men do. Why? I have absolutely no idea. But just from experience, that is a good practice to follow. It'll kind of keep you out of hot water. It keeps your customer happy, and you can concentrate on getting the job done. Now, remember earlier when I was talking about my brain kind of going into design mode while the customer was still talking? That has gotten me into trouble before because I end up building something that the customer didn't really want because I wasn't listening correctly. So you have to be very clear that when you finally have a design worked out, you share that with the customer. Make sure the dimensions are correct. Make sure that 87 inches long didn't somehow turn into 78 inches long. Not that that's ever happened to me, but I read about someone that that made that error. Just be very, very clear. When both of you have a working game plan, then you can proceed. Everyone knows exactly what to expect. So how else can you get yourself in trouble with a customer? One way is by not solving the real problem that the customer had. I'll use my 60-watt kitchen story. A customer called me up, said she's been in the house for like 20, 30 years, and she absolutely hates 
her kitchen. It's dark, it's dingy, it's dirty, it's old. She hates her kitchen. We agreed on a date that I would come for a site visit, walked into the kitchen, and she was absolutely right. It was dark, kind of a a walnut-stained red oak. And it was dingy. And, yeah, in the corners there was some dirt. What was most notable about her kitchen was the one bare 60-watt light bulb in the ceiling. The only light source in the kitchen. That was it. Anything would look dark, dingy, and dirty in that light. So the first thing we did is we changed out the light fixture. We put in a four-bulb fluorescent. That was back in the day. And when we flipped the light switch, her face just lit up. She was amazed. It was like I had just built, you know, a $20,000 kitchen cabinet set. She could finally see her cabinets. Now, yeah, they were a little tired. They were a little dirty. But if you haven't seen the dirt for the last 20 years, how do you know that the cabinets are dirty? So she ended up giving them a good scrub and a polish, and she was happy with them. Yeah, I talked myself out of a cabinet job, but at that time, I really didn't want a cabinet job, so I think it worked out best for both of us. But that's an example of how what the customer indicates is the problem is not really the problem. In fact, you can even apply this to auto maintenance. Never take your car to the mechanic and say, I think the rear seal is leaking. You know what the mechanic's going to do? They're going to replace the rear seal. But if you still have the leak, huh, maybe it wasn't a rear seal. You just spent a whole bunch of money. So don't try to tell a mechanic what their job is. Tell them the symptoms that you're experiencing and let them do the diagnostic work. But a lot of customers, consumers, they don't know what's really wrong. They're only describing the symptoms. That's your job to go in and take a look and figure it out. That's why you're getting paid the big bucks. Speaking of going into a customer's home, you should show up exactly at the time you have agreed with the customer. If you said 10 o'clock, you ring the doorbell at 10 o'clock. Now, maybe a couple minutes before that, but don't show up 20 minutes early. That's not cool either. And whatever you do, don't be late. When you do show up, look decent. If you've been digging a ditch in the backyard to lay a new electrical service, don't then go to someone's house with muddy boots and, you know, grimy pants. Look decent. You don't have to be suit and tie at all, but your clothes should be in good repair. You should look professional. You are. And at the same time, your vehicle. You shouldn't be showing up in something that leaves a smoke screen as you pull into their driveway and has more duct tape and bailing wire than uh, than paint on it. 
but something that's decent. Whenever you enter a customer's house, see if they're wearing a mask. You probably should be too. If they're not wearing shoes, ask if you should take your shoes off. Different people are different, and it's good to respect the homeowner's wishes. Whenever you enter the house, this is where your detective work starts. Look around. Observe everything. Observe the wall color, the floor color, the type of molding. Is it just, you know, 1950s streamline? Is it a custom molding? Does it have a clear finish? Is everything painted? And what style is it? Is it like earlier, early colonial? Maybe more of a shaker, prairie, contemporary? You know, there's all different types of styles. Maybe it's modern eclectic, <laughs> as our home is. Is the home extraordinarily clean? Like surgery room clean? Or does it have the normal amount of little clutter, things sitting on the countertops? All of these things are going to be telling you things about your customer and what the customer's expectations of you are. Look at the job, size it up, make sure that you have a measuring tape with you, some way of recording measurements. I've gotten into the habit of using my cell phone to take photos Good idea to ask the customer if you may take photos. Record measurements that you need. Look at any structural issues that you might have to deal with. If you're doing work in the kitchen, ask if you can open cabinet doors and drawers. Peek inside. See how those cabinets were built. Get some sense of level. You could even take a little pocket torpedo level with you. Or there's apps for your cell phone that you could use. Very often, I can walk across the floor and detect if something is really out of sorts with it. And, as always, I know I harp on this a lot, but it is very important. When you're doing the job, be neat and clean about it. Keep a organized worksite. Don't have tools and materials scattered from one end of the house to the other. It's a real good idea to put down a drop cloth. It protects the floor surface. It can avoid some costly repairs. If you drop something and it scratches or damages a hardwood floor, guess who's going to fix that for free? Yes, that's right. You are. Be very careful with the tools that you bring into the home. Make sure that there's nothing sticking out or protruding. I had a a tool tote that I made, well, decades ago. And there was a little gap opening up along where the side met the bottom. And this little brad nail had worked its way down behind that. And it was sticking out maybe a sixteenth of an inch. And I was at a customer's home and I set it down on their hardwood. I probably don't need to explain the gory details that followed after that. Number one, it was incredibly painful. My pride was, was mortally wounded. 
such a rookie mistake. I should have known better than that. The customer wasn't too upset, and of course I fixed it, and actually ended up fixing a couple other little dings and scratches in her floor, and they were quite pleased with the entire affair. But I created more work for myself, which obviously you're not going to charge for. So be careful of things that you bring in. There are some real high-end jobs, you know, houses in the millions of dollars that the general contractor would not even allow you to bring in like a metal toolbox. Everything has to be soft. You know, soft-sided cases, uh, canvas cases, just nothing that could possibly scratch anything. If you're working, let's say, in the kitchen, around countertops, have some type of a foam rubber pad that you can put down to set tools on, especially under where you're working. I have this tremendous fear of working on a cabinet, maybe adjusting the European hinges and the screwdriver or the screw gun, you know, slips out of my hand and it comes crashing down on that countertop. That that will keep you up at night. So protect the area that you're around and vacuum or at least use a little dust broom and a, a, a dustpan to clean up any debris that you may have generated or even just kind of kicked loose. If you can leave the area cleaner than you found it, you're going to score brownie points. I've gotten into the habit of just taking my Festool Mini with me and just using it to to vacuum everything up. So your customers are your greatest asset, and you need to take care of them. If you take care of them, they'll take care of you. If you do a really good job for someone, they're going to tell at least 10 people. If you do a poor job for them, they're going to tell at least 30 people, maybe a 100 people. It is so much easier to maintain a good reputation than it is to try to rebuild a damaged reputation. But what if you get a customer who says, you're charging too much, your prices are too high. How do you deal with that? Well, that's probably... A good subject for another podcast, but that does bring me to my recommendation of the week. If you jump on YouTube and check out 731 Woodworks, in fact, I've left a link in the show notes to this exact video. A gentleman in Arkansas for looks like about the last four years has been creating some very good content. I just discovered him like last week and I'm very impressed. He has some really good advice and seems to be quite an accomplished woodworker. And of course I have turned down a couple jobs this week. One of them was a chair repair that in my small shop I just don't have the room for that And fortunately, there's someone else in the community that does have a larger shop and employees, and they do a very good job. So I referred the customer to them. But I did have someone email me asking if I could make something for her using four bed slats. These look like one by four 
southern yellow pine, and she just wants something to kind of, as a memento of this bed that belonged to someone who is very special to her. It's not a big job. It's kind of fun. I enjoy designing and building things like that. So I told her next year. I would love to hear your your comments, your complaints, your criticisms. You can email me at roger at working at woodworking.com. And until the next episode, happy woodworking. <music>